Before we start today's show, I just want to give a massive shout out to Acast for making this show happen. Thanks, Acast. Hello and welcome to the PJ Podcast. I am your host, PJ. Hope you're having a great week. Things are treating you well. I am very excited for my guest this week and I have started to realise that I say that on pretty much every podcast. I'm so excited to get this guest on, but I'm not going to get them on if I'm not excited to talk to them, am I? This week... The guest, no exception, who I'm very excited to talk to, is Brienne West. She's a British-born environmentalist, social entrepreneur, and founder of regenerative lifestyle and beauty brand, Atik. You may have seen Atik in your local store, um, and basically the brand boasts shampoo and conditioner beauty bars, uh, facial cleansers, moisturizers, body butters, you name it, they've got it, with a very green mission. Uh, they're plastic-free, all of their... Products are packaged in home compostable materials, um, palm oil free, you name it. They're doing all the good things. And Brienne started this brand 10 years ago when she was living with her parents in Christchurch. And at that time, you know, there wasn't as much talk about conscious environmental consumerism. And oh my gosh, she's been on such a journey since then. Uh, Ashton Kutcher, Britney Spears have shared the brand. Um, And there were a lot of naysayers at the beginning. So we're going to talk about how she dealt with that. But also I think everyone wants to know, how do you break down and discern which brands are genuine? Which brands are jumping on the bandwagon? How can you tell when it's greenwashing? I'm going to ask her all those questions in this week's episode of the PJ Podcast. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me today from Chile Christchurch. What's the um, estimated temperature right now? Oh, I think it's about three degrees. Oh my God. <laughs> but you were born in the UK, is that right? Yeah, in the Alaman, which is also very cold. So I should be used to it, but really, no. No. When did you move out to New Zealand? <laughs> um, I was about seven, so I think it would have been oh, 1994, which is horrifying because <laughs> I saw someone's birthday the other day and it was like 2005, know, which is the year I, I left school. That and, doesn't seem possible oh, to be born after 2000, weird. eh? <laughs> no, it's really weird. So you started the incredible brand that is a take 10 years ago and you did this from your parents' kitchen in Christchurch. Tell me how that happened, what inspired the move and was it terribly scary at the time? Okay, yeah, um, well, I was studying at university and give you a wee bit of the backstory. Mm. Um, when I moved up to Christchurch, because I grew up in Queenstown, to go to university, the first thing I knew was that I did not want to get a job. I do not like taking orders from anyone else. It's a terrible character flaw. Uh, <laughs> so I started up, um, I think, a cake decorating company for a couple of days. And before I realized I couldn't decorate cakes, then I started a cosmetics company. I had that one for about three or four years. It went really well. Yeah. Um, but it was just like a bog standard cosmetics company. 
Um, and whilst I also had that, I also had a third one uh, called Tub, which was a confectionery company. And then all of a sudden I realized, you know what, I'm bored. <laughs> I'd gone down to part-time at university. So I wasn't bored because I wasn't doing anything. I was bored because nothing had any point. And I wanted to create something that would save the world. You know, people have asked me, what do you, what do you want to do when you were, grow up? And I was always like, save the world, whatever that even means. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I realized that's why I'm bored. Making money isn't my big motivation. Um, I'm going to sell these businesses, sold them both, and then started a teak. And yes, I was, I was actually in a flat at the time, but moved back into my parents' house because of the whole when you start up a company, you save no money. money yeah, yep, yeah, yep. yeah, smart issue. That was fun for all involved. Um, and yeah, it just grew from there. It was like a pilot program type thing um, for a while because it was such an unusual product. Shampoo bars weren't as common as they are now. Mm. And to see if people actually like the idea of plastic-free cosmetic products. Was it scary? No. Awesome. Because it was like a low – there wasn't a lot of risk involved. And there was no pressure probably at that time. You were no. kind of just having fun and playing with it. Yeah, no one expected it to work anyway. Everybody said, oh, yeah, you should start another business or you could go work for someone. That would be a better idea. <laughs> and so honestly. when you started it out, was it with the intention of not having any plastic and everything that you've kind of achieved literally like over the last 10 years? Did you sort of start out with that real green mission? Absolutely. Mm. To start with, it was, you know, a million bottles saved by 2020, which if I'm honest, I thought was insurmountable. That sounded like a massive goal. I mean, yeah. we hit 10 million in 2020. So, you know, we blew it out oh. of the water. But at the time, it didn't seem possible. But it wasn't just that. It was also that I wanted to operate the company as ethically as humanly possible. So be as good and as fair and as kind to every stakeholder throughout the supply chain all the way through to the finished product. Mm. And then, of course, the fact that there would be no waste for the consumer to deal with. So it was... It was quite a, it was an extremely ethical company from day one. And as I've learned more, I've added to those values. And what business experience did you have at that point? Was it literally just you? It was all that, that mad collection of startups right. that were all varying degrees of successful, <laughs> shall we say. So did you feel pretty like you were going into it quite blindly and, and you know, you were literally learning on the go and winging it as you went? I feel like that now. Yeah, I feel I like that's what great business people do. I think so. I did go through, a, we enrolled for an MBA maybe three or four years into a teak. Um, my business partner at the time was like, I don't think you should do this. They're going to try and put a round, what is it, a square peg into a round hole. You don't think like that. And that's that's only a good thing. Um and sometimes I do feel that my lack of traditional business experience is a problem, but also I think it's mainly a benefit because so many times I'll get advice saying, oh, you can't do that because it won't work because it's just not how it works. Mm. And then it works and it's fine. And it's, and a tech has gone well because of these slightly more unusual decisions like equity crowdfunding versus angel investment, for example. Um, so if I had that business experience, I'd probably be way less keen to try things that are not considered normal. Yeah. So, I, I know a lot of people think you need an MBA or even just a business or commerce degree or whatever, and I really don't think you do. If you want one, great, but you don't need one to start something. And you learn how, best on the job. How important is your gut and your intuition in that to make decisions? Ooh, that's a really interesting question because <laughs> can it lead really you astray? Important. I think you feel it's really hard to explain, but. I think my gut's quite bad, actually. <laughs> oh, no. It's it's. It's good that everything is people judgment because I naturally trust everybody, okay. which is 
not ideal in many situations and I try not to um but I will always look on the positive side of every single person and yeah. unfortunately I have been burned a few times I haven't really learned my gut's like no they're fine they're lovely they're great <laughs> it's and a beautiful um, trait to have though <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you're surrounded with people who are a little bit more pragmatic, which I am, that's fine. But um, yeah, in terms of, you know, uh, one of the examples I always use in these conversations is we were given a a multi-million dollar um, opportunity through a retailer in the States, but they wanted to package all our product in plastic. It wasn't really a gut feeling. It was like, of course, we're not going to do that. But it's kind of led by the whole gut feeling that that is not the way to grow a brand long term, you know, because conventional business wisdom would have said do it anyway. Well, that's it. Like how many times over the last 10 years have you had carrots dangled that have been, you know, um, economically probably very seductive and you've had to really like get your morals and values in the forefront? Like have you have you had to really compromise them at all? No, because we won't, because yeah. brand tech is all about values. That yes. is all we have that separates us from anyone else, right? Love and that's that. really important to me. I didn't just create these values because I thought they would sell to the consumer. That's what's important to me mm. and important to my team and important to all of our shareholders and everything else, right? Um, so, yes, we've had lots of opportunities. We, just, we sort of turn them down for two reasons. Is one, we're in hit for the long haul. We want to build a brand that people trust and acknowledge and understand and know globally will make the right decision, right, mm-hmm. um, for people and planet. And sometimes you will have really good-looking short-term opportunities come up, but they will be to the detriment. I mean, we've had a retailer from the States come in, one of the largest retailers in the world. I'm not going to say their name. Mm. Um, and they came in, but we didn't think that would be a good opportunity for one of our earliest introductions into the USA because they would probably not – they would sell the product, but they wouldn't grow the brand, right? Mm-hmm. Because they didn't understand the value piece. So there's lots and lots of that kind of thinking that goes into the decisions. But the, the thing that makes it the easiest is my team feels the same way. Amazing. So and are you really selective over who you invite into your team to ensure that you guys are so on the same level? Yes and no. <laughs> are you um, over tra- are you attitude, right? trusting? Do you trust too many people again? Well, probably. I, I don't do a lot of hiring. In fact, I don't do hiring. Yeah, I, will, okay. I will sit in at interviews, but I leave the final decision to my team because I right. have better judges of character. It is definitely my worst, <laughs> my worst talent, like an anti-talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, if it's a little bit like, um, you know, if I'm in the car and I say to go right, you should definitely go left. Yes. It's a little bit like that. <laughs> Sense of direction is, is rubbish. Anyway, um, so when we hire, we look for attitude, but we don't look for someone who has all of the values that a team does because that's it's unfair. People yeah. aren't going to be as passionate about everything as we are, but we try and look for an element of caring. Um, everybody, everybody wants to do the best thing possible, right? Yeah. Well, almost everybody. And um, it's not hard to find people. And then as they learn more through the company, through the passions of the rest of the team, they become more and more valued lead, not to say that they weren't in the first place, but yeah, we hire for attitude and that spark of, giving a shit. And I suppose you need that room for growth as well. I suppose if you were all on this exact same level, then it would kind of be boring, you know? Yeah. And it's good because some people challenge us and say, why aren't you doing this? And great idea. Hadn't even thought about it. Total different life experience. So when you started the brand, like you were way ahead of the curve. 20, 2012, was it? Yep. Yep. And a long time ago. <laughs> Don't, I'm with you. Um, 
That must have been really interesting because there's obviously been such a shift in consumerism um, with the, the climate positive movement over the last few years. What was it like at that time? Did you find that you were quite unsupported? Yeah, actually. Um, mm. My family always supported whatever I've done, which is very sweet. Yeah. Um, perhaps a little bit delusionary at times, but very <laughs> sweet. Um, but I certainly had... I entered a university competition. I do talk about this a lot. And um, most of the judges were <laughs> not supportive. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, and, and actually, two of them now I, I talk to quite frequently, and they're very, very supportive. And I do wonder if they paid a little bit of a bad cop just to see what I would do. But yeah, a lot of the people around me were like, well, people don't want a shampoo bar. They're really annoying to use. They're not going to be as good. It's just a bar of soap. And we, they, we still get these objections now, but far, far smaller degree. Um, you can't run a business like this. You can't do this. You won't be able to afford to do this, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it was, I think if, I, if I'm not so stubborn and bloody single-minded, <laughs> I think I would have caved in a little bit because it was quite hard. You, know, you would have had so many naysayers. Yeah. Yeah, I did. But um, now it's trendy. I haven't listened to people as a kid, so I'm not going to listen to them now. Good for you. Like, it's so trendy now, and, and it's it's almost oversaturated with the word green and planet saving. Oh. And it's actually really hard to navigate as a consumer what is uh, genuine and, and, and what products. I, I'm sure it does because you would have seen this. You would have seen a lot of brands over the years jump on this movement because it makes them more acceptable to the public. And so their real genuine intentions are very, it's hard to actually decipher them. For someone who wants to be <laughs> green friendly, you know, look after the planet, what what advice would you have to, to be able to um, identify the good from the bad? It's really hard. It's really, really hard because there's so much nonsense out there. The one that really annoys me, actually, there's loads that annoy me. The one that sticks out that annoys me is that we'll plant a tree for every order. Mm. You know, we don't give a shit that the rest of our our, our actual product manufacturing mm. literally causes deforestation and, and mass economic destruction and blah, blah, blah. But we'll plant a tree if you order it. Oh, it's such nonsense. It drives me insane. Greenwashing is everywhere, yeah. um, but uh, governments in, are beginning to crack down, particularly in the U- EU and the UK, so that'll be interesting to see where that goes. But um, if you are looking, number one, the best thing to do, of course, is to not buy anything that you don't need. <laughs> yep. Only buy stuff that you need. Um, coming from a person who sells stuff, yep, obviously a bit strange, but you do need shampoo and conditioner, particularly <laughs> if you're going to use a public transport, which is also a good thing to do. Yes. Um, uh, number two would be to talk to brands. And I know that's time consuming and sometimes you just want to have to buy stuff. And that's okay. You know, every purchase doesn't have to be the perfect possible option. But talk to brands, particularly those that are making these hardcore claims. You know, what does climate positive mean? Does it mean mm. they're simply buying carbon offsets and not actually diminishing their carbon footprint? Um, are they planting a tree for every order? Is it a pine tree in the middle of somewhere where pine trees are a pest? You know, um, ask them what they mean when they make these grandiose claims. And if they don't have an answer or don't respond to you, that's a red flag. If they do and have a really thoughtful, you know, response, great. They're not perfect. We're not perfect. No one, no company is perfect. It's impossible. But if you're trying to take steps, then those sorts of companies should be rewarded. There's a caveat there. There are companies trying to take steps or look like they're trying to take steps, but really the bulk of their product sucks. And yeah. it's no good for anybody. And I'm not going to name names. Um, but the, we don't need their product. Don't, don't do, buy that. Do you know what? Like even just chucking the word earth or planet 
oh, green oh my god into green. the title i even find that i get sucked into it and then like i've got a um a dishwashing liquid at the moment and I actually should be using a soap bar. I got told the other day that's way better. You can actually get these little devices that you can put the soap in and then it... Soap shaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the 1950s. I love it. (laughs) Right. Um, But I reckon I got conned into my liquid because it had something quite planet positive on the front. And now I'm like, I don't want to look at the ingredients because I can just smell that it's not. It's not good. It's just not good. Yeah. The amount of psychology that goes into marketing, (laughs) packaging, I think if you don't have any any idea of how businesses, I don't want to say manipulate, mm. but I'm going to mm. manipulate no, it by what they put on their package. It's astonishing. I'm not saying we're, you know, we, we do exactly the same. We've got a smaller package, so we've got to really try and get a lot of information across to people. And um, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of thinking how a consumer will feel about something. Yeah. And but of I course, saw- some companies just lie. Yeah, well, of course. That. Do you think that? Um, <laughs> do you think that we have been in this sort of period where it is obviously very trendy, and maybe it's just a phase, and people will all of a sudden get off and they'll move on to the next trend to try? No, no. You reckon that this is no. yeah, for the long no, run? No, this is not a trend. It's a revolution. Totally, finally, we're beginning to wake up to what we are doing to our planet. And to be honest, if it is a trend and we all we all jump off the trend um, in a few years or a few months or whatever, we're going to really regret it in a couple yeah. of years. Um, look, we're already seeing, I mean, look at the, the temperature in Europe and the UK at the moment. They were predicting these temperatures to occur in 2050. Wow. It's 2022, right? Yeah, 2022. Yeah. Uh, we're a little ahead of schedule. It is scary if you are paying attention. That is not something I say lightly. I don't want to frighten people yeah. into apathy. There is a lot we can do about it, but this is not a trend because the environmental destruction is not going away. In some cases, it's being repaired, but in a lot of cases, we're not doing enough. When I say trend, I mean more just how a lot of businesses are jumping on Oh, <laughs> out of feeling like they have to. I no. know that this is, you know, I, this has to be a revolution. This has to be a change of how we live our lives. And I think for some people, it can be really overwhelming and they don't know where to start and and for that reason, sometimes they just switch off. But it, it's almost like, and I guess your brand is um, evidence of this, It's you have to be in it for the long haul. And sometimes you can't change yeah. everything overnight and it has to be, you know, um, almost a slow burn sometimes to kind of um, adapt. I do wonder if the bigger, well, in fact, all brands might stop talking about it as aggressively as we all do now Yeah, because it will be a required fabric of an organization is to have this right. absolute baseline of environmental protection yeah. or regenerativeness, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, sustainability. Um, so maybe eventually we will stop greenwashing. Companies will stop greenwashing as much because people will have assumed that they're actually doing the right thing, which is, of course, not a great assumption. I actually don't see that happening, though, because mm. you talk to most people about corporations and they just assume that they're evil, yeah, which yeah, isn't yeah. necessarily fair yeah. or true in all situations. But, yeah. I mean, it's some of them are evil. Yeah. In the future with the take, is, are there plans to go larger? I mean, obviously, business, it's all about growth, but do you see yourself moving from shampoo bars to a wider range of products? Well, I mean, we try and do as much that makes sense for us now. So we try and do everything you would find in your shower. Yeah. So face cleansers, moisturizers, 
so on and so forth. You wouldn't find a moisturiser in a shower, but you know what I mean? Oh, um, you'd be surprised. I've seen them with some No, showers. I guess you could. That's true. You can have in-shower moisturisers. That's fair. Um, and we, we have expanded into like concentrates, which were um, liquid shampoos and stuff that you make up yourself, which mm. are pretty cool. Um, and we have released our lipsticks. Oh, you've cut out. Medics. Oh, that just cut out for one second. Can you just go back to the lipstick yeah, part? everything know, just flicked. I don't know what happened there. I don't know what that was. <laughs> no, sorry. We have just released our lipsticks, which is, you know, our first foray into the cosmetic, colour cosmetic market, which is interesting. Um, and we've certainly got some exciting things planned, but I, unfortunately I will be told off if I tell anybody <laughs> because I have done that before and I did get a lecture. Well, I saw your first TV ad that um, you just released, which was amazing. How Love exciting it. was that and how much creative control did you have behind that? Um, we always outsource our, our big videos like that because we have a very, very clever uh, company that we work with. Yep. And we got a script writer in to do that. To do that. Uh, they presented us with three options and loved all three of them. <laughs> so we've kept two on the back burner for later. But this one was the one that stood out to me because <sighs> it's so hard to get something across in 15 seconds. Yes. Um, that is entertaining so you want to watch it gets mm-hmm. the point across that your hair will be amazing but also why mm. the company exists and that that is no mean feat they did the most amazing job honestly I was absolutely stoked with how it turned out and the feedback's been pretty positive but seeing your brand on tv it's made me feel like a grown-up <laughs> well I mean you're doing pretty well you should be so <laughs> yes. so proud of yourself and just the amount of growth that a teak has had over the years I suppose it's also like trust trust in the product that must be a really important word for you with your consumers because yeah people might dabble they might try different things but having that returning customer and knowing this is a really ethical company must be so important for you it is I like it when people ask us questions and say hey you've said this can you back it up for me that's good um but I want people to feel like they don't have to. Mm-hmm. I want them to if they want to. Great. But I want them to feel like anything we say, we mean. So we do try and provide citations. We try and provide proof where we can. Um, not everything is something that you can post on the internet, right? Um, we just, to me, it's so important that people trust two things. Is one, what we say we do. What we say we are doing, we're doing. Mm-hmm. And two, that our products are good for you and they will work. Because people assume still there's that idea that anything that's green isn't very good. Yeah. It's, diminishing but it's still there so how many stores did you start out in and how many stores are you now in huh. <laughs> um i don't think we had our first retailer till maybe three years in and even then that retailer was very kind because they shouldn't have taken it because it looked <laughs> completely different the, sh- the the packaging was horrendous it was water soluble so the packaging like dissolved on the shelves over time really oh wow <laughs> stability testing there how did that Um, go on like human very very biodegradable (laughs) yeah it worked really well head over to hulu this march where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the acclaimed movie all of us strangers starring paul muscal and andrew scott stream the new hulu original limited series we were the lucky ones with joey king and logan lerman and don't forget about Grey's anatomy Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Great idea. Yeah. Not a good one in practice. Um, so, I think 
we were mainly online for years. Maybe we went into a couple of hundred retailers over the next few years. And then, boom, all of a sudden, we're in like six and a half thousand, and soon to be more um, retailers. And it's, I don't know how that happened. Through the very hard work of some incredible team members is how that happened. And the more it expands and the more exposure you get and the more shops you get into, do you find the more challenges you face? <laughs> Retail is an interesting environment. I'm sure. Not just because of COVID and all of that nonsense, mm. but retail is interesting because you've got to factor in what the retailer wants from you and you've got to factor in what you want from the retailer, mm. right? And they are not usually parallel. So <laughs> it is a, it's often a dance. It's an interesting dance. Yes, snap. It's, it is. <laughs> um, but that's why I love, so, you know, over 50% of our businesses direct to consumer on our website. And I love that because you can way more. You have an instant relationship with your consumers. You know what they hate, love, like, want to change, want to see new. Um, but you also, you can control your brand and the story and what's being said. And that's that's really important because mm. it doesn't matter how much information you provide people, they will somehow get something wrong. And that's okay. That's just the nature of, of being a human, I suppose. But we want to try and express who we are to a consumer. And so are you going to travel a bit more overseas so you can get like into these stores? Because I suppose, yeah, with COVID, you would have been stuck here in New Zealand. And was your yeah. product product getting distributed into all these places? Yeah, it was. So we entered into the UK maybe six months, nah, probably maybe a year before lockdown. Yeah. And it was um, difficult, but we we had to put teams in the US and the UK pretty quickly, which worked out nicely. Um, and we only met them recently. So I went to the US uh, about a, two months ago. I've just come back from the UK um, to meet these these teams um, who are doing a fab job and, and wow. servicing them. But no retail really picked up apart from in the USA in the last sort of six months because retailers were, as you would understand, you know, battening down the hatches and just trying to get through everything. But now things are sparked back up. So, yes, we'll be doing more traveling, but we, those teams are have got got it in hand yeah they're doing a fab job it must feel like your baby's been released into the world and you must get a bit anxious sometimes do you i do if i think about it but i don't tend to think about it too much because i just think of all the things that i need to do yeah to ensure that i i can make my team as successful as possible by just taking the the shit out of the way for them amazing makes sense and tell me about the link between britney spears and ashton culture apparently they've endorsed your product (laughs) Yeah. Tell me the story behind that. It was the weirdest thing, honestly. Um, You know, brand brand endorsement by Britney Spears. I grew up with Britney Spears. I grew up listening to Britney Spears. I am that generation. And um, my dad always used to tease me for it, whatever. And one morning we had just, we just had a couple of viral pieces of press that had gone all around the world. And and we were absolutely the same. We were a team before making like 50 bars a day. It was a nightmare. I had to cancel 98% of these orders. But we were getting through it. We had just brought in all these volunteers who so kindly helped us. And oh, thank God for those people. And then um, my mum, I woke up to a text from my mum at 7 o'clock in the morning. And I am not a morning person. I will never be a morning person. I am a, a troll. What time morning. do you start work? Oh, uh, eight. But oh, I'm, that's okay. you know, I need, I'm, I need maybe half an hour at the computer before anybody has an intense conversation with me. Fair enough. But Woke up to a text message at seven o'clock and she said, Britney Spears has shared you on Facebook. Now, because I'm an awful person and because <laughs> mum never was great with cell phones for a while, she's fine now. She's fine now. <laughs> just to say that. But um, for a while, it was touch and go. And um, she said, Britney Spears has shared you on Facebook. And I thought, oh, it's like a clone or a fake account for <laughs> sake. So I messaged her and said, of course she hasn't. 
that'd be ridiculous. And she sent me a link and I was like, oh shit. In fact, I think I said something way more exotic than yeah, that. But yeah. um, she had done. There was hundreds of thousands of comments. Most of them were like, Brittany, will you marry me? But a lot of them were <laughs> talking about us and it was probably the most stressful moment and like a good stress. Yeah. So did you just yeah. find sales skyrocketed after that mention? Yeah, they did, which wasn't what we needed at the time. But again, not, 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 <laughs> not complaining about it, but yeah. far out. But then um, Ashton Kutcher followed it up a couple of days later. He made a video because he has a platform called A+. I actually don't know if it still exists, but it did do, yeah. which was all about the positive news, which I thought was such a cool website. All the positive news of the world. So they did a video about us and um, that they posted that too. So it was an exciting few months. Wow. And do you personally reach out to Ashton after that and be like, hey, I'm from we, a we did. I, I, no, I had no idea how to. So I was just like, I'll oh, just DM him, him on Facebook. Because back then it was on Facebook, even not even on Instagram. Right. <laughs> so, did you get a so reply? Said, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got it. at least you gave it a shot, right? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. How I, I guess that power of word of mouth is so important for a brand, isn't it? And it comes back to that genuine experience with it and trust. And, and if people have that, then they're going to spread a really positive word. Yeah. Well, there's the saying, you know, if you love a product, you'll tell one person, but it's a really powerful endorsement. Mm-hmm. If you hate something, you're going to tend to tell 10 people. And that's that's not ideal, but that's the way it works. So you really want to knock the socks off people when you want to get them to love your brand and what it stands for but most importantly you've got to love the product yeah because it's all well and good being the most environmentally friendly product in the world if no one's going to buy it plastic let's talk about it let's finish on on plastic and the the plastic issue of the world but i i'm sure you can find a way to have a positive spin on it how can we be better how can we kick this plastic addiction well i think there's a i think people need to be a wee bit more educated about it because you're constantly slammed in this information. So there's a couple of things. There's one, plastic is very, very good at what we want it to be, mm-hmm. right? It is incredibly useful and it's an absolute necessity in things like the medical field. So I'm not yeah. anti-plastic. Yeah. I'm anti-single-use plastic uh-huh. and I'm anti the misinformation around plastic, which is the fact that it's recyclable. It may well be technically recyclable, but plastic is typically not able to be recycled into what it was previously. It's downcycled because it doesn't retain its quality, which is why you often have to add virgin plastics back in. So you're still making more plastic. But all of that's largely irrelevant because we only recycle between 5 to 9% of all plastic globally because wow. we don't have the infrastructure to support the amount of plastic we use. So, I mean, there's two, two obvious solutions. One, use less. Don't use single-use plastics at all, um, but use less. There's also a caveat there, though. Switching from like a a single-use plastic to a single-use wooden version of something, like wooden cutlery, isn't necessarily the better environmental swap. Really? Reusables are almost always better because wood is a far harder resource to produce. It is slower. It uses more water, for example. Anyway, Mm. that is very complicated. There's a lot of nuance in this conversation. I love to hear the nuance. I love to hear it because we we often don't in in the mainstream. We always always approach things black and white, right? Because that's the easiest thing to do. But it's just, it's not. It's not the way it works, unfortunately. Um, And the second bit is, why on earth are we not putting a, I don't know, a one cent tax on every single piece of virgin plastic or solder, every single piece of plastic, Mm. and then pouring that money into recycling infrastructure and doing that around the world in every country? Because we are shipping our recycling offshore to countries that certainly do not have the infrastructure for it. It's stored, and that's what ends up in our waterways. It seems like an obvious solution, and I'm sure it's not. I'm not a politician. I have no interest in being a politician, but <laughs> it seems to me that that would be 
a logical solution. But you look in a supermarket and it's just so depressing. There is literally still plastic everywhere. I mean, I would love to see refilleries and, you know, you go to whole food places where you can just take your own containers. But the reality of that is that it's probably going to take a bit longer for that to happen. Yeah. And for people to shift into that kind of way. Yeah, we've swung towards convenience and I totally get it because everyone's Mm. busier now than they were in, again, the 1950s, right? Mm. Uh, So it is very hard to tell people, oh, you need to change your behavior and go to a refillery, which means you need to carry loads of bottles with you in jars and containers because people aren't going to do it. Yeah. So we need to, we need a lot of things. We need better recycling infrastructure. We need people to think a little bit more about what it is they buy. We need companies to be a, (laughs) to be held way more accountable for the waste. It's simple. A company should be responsible for the wasted packaging at the end of a product's life, end of story. Mm. And they should be doing that in the form of, of when they are buying the empty container to fill, they should have to pay an extra amount to ensure that there is infrastructure to deal with the packaging at the end of its life. Yeah, no, that's that's it's totally fair. And with glass, people often think that's a more environmentally friendly option. But then I've heard that it's not so great. And that, that, It varies. <laughs> it, it really right? depends. Again, just even on where you are, even in states in New Zealand, yeah. you know, um, whether you're in Canterbury or if you're in Auckland, it depends on whether they can recycle it or if they will recycle it because we use a lot of glass. So again, infrastructure is overwhelmed. Mm. Um, yes, recycled glass, particularly as it can be recycled over and over again, is is better than a single-use plastic in most cases, but it's not that cut and dried. So and the, the other problem with glass, of course, it's heavy. It breaks when you ship yeah. it around. It's a lot more carbon intensive than a lighter plastic. So glass, you know, I mean, Yalen's Winery made an interesting decision a few years ago where they switched their glass bottles to plastic ones. Really? The argument, of course, being that it's so much lighter. And that's definitely a fair argument. But then my argument against that is, yes, your plastic bottle may be recyclable, but it won't be. What's your chance? plans to do with that and there's all these ideas of these resend them back and we'll recycle it for you programs and like like the TerraCycle but they require so much change from a consumer's perspective and they also there's a bit of greenwashing in there. Yeah so I've heard TerraCycle and and that sort of phrase thrown around is do you think there's much substance to it? How, How does that work? I think they're definitely getting better. Yeah. Um, I've not read a great deal about the controversy around it, but right. uh, let's just say at this point in time, I wouldn't partner with them because I don't think they have been able to necessarily show that it's a net positive, I suppose. They are trying to do a very, very hard thing, which is recycle things like toothpaste. You know, toothpaste is several layered products with aluminium and plastic in them and that you've got to strip it down. That's just one example of something they're trying to recycle, which is very difficult to do. Um, and it's, Unfortunately, the companies that partner with them are like, hey, we'll send it to TerraCycle. It'll be fine. And you'll all be good. Guilt-free. You can buy whatever you like. And that's really not the message. And I don't even think that's the message TerraCycle want to send. Yeah. TerraCycle are ultimately trying to do a good thing. But it's the companies they partner with that are like, done. We're, we're all good. We're in the clear. Cool. Yeah, we partner with you. Yeah. Sweet. We don't need to worry about anything else. That's our environmental part done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They use them as a as an easy way out. Oh, a bit like carbon offsets. Interesting. Oh, my gosh. I, I – Find you so fascinating. I feel like we could talk about the environment all day. (laughs) I feel like we need to end. We both end up quite depressed. Yeah. Well, okay. (laughs) Let's end on something uplifting about the environment, something that you have done over the last few years or something that you're working towards that, you know, shows that the power of people can make a difference. I think the most exciting version, this is going to sound arrogant, and I don't mean it to, right? No. Hey, we love a bit of arrogance. That's Okay. Five years ago, even okay, 10 years ago, there wasn't any companies like Atik really out there, right? Um, 
there was there was no there was no super values lead organizations apart from like the body shop and lush who did a fabulous job but they still sold a lot of products in plastic and i understand why then we came along and we grew we got a lot of international attention in the last three two to three years every single cpg company Procter and Gamble, Unilever, all of the others have released shampoo bars, right? They haven't embraced any of the values. They've just gone, oh, we're plastic free now for like less than 1% of their sales. Yeah. But they, I know because I talked to a lot of manufacturers around um, and a lot of brands and they hold a teak up as the standard that they want to their bars to be wow. from a quality perspective, but also from a, like a consumer acceptance standard. And that is great. It shows that what we are ultimately trying to do, which is inspire businesses to do better and inspire consumers to demand better of their brands, that ultimately that that's working because the industry is switching. You're seeing loads and loads of environmentally friendly brands that are actually environmentally friendly popping up. And that's due to consumers demanding better and that's due to more education. So the industry is moving. I'd like it to move a lot faster, but (laughs) These things it'll have to come get there. to be sustainable. It'll get there, you yeah. right? So <laughs> yeah. I think we can take real heart in the fact that every industry is moving and changing. Now we just need to hold, you know, fossil fuels, fuel companies uh, mm. accountable for the damage they've done. But I don't have that too much hope for that one. But it's it's the more it becomes the norm and the more people kind of see it as actually attainable and as a sexy option. And, like, now that you've got TV ads out and stuff, I think, again, that's just going to hammer home that – this isn't just some kooky thing that you find in the corner of an alternative shop, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is something that we can exactly. all do, jump on it's board. It's a, and it's a simple it's a simple option, one thing that we can do, you know, to yeah. help the planet. I think the big thing to note is yes, we can make individual decisions and they will make a small difference, right? They will. Mm. Our purchasing decisions make a difference, but the biggest difference is going to come out when c- corporates change. Yes. And that's what I mean when I say that Atik has inspired this this change and not just us alone. There's other companies out there doing it too. Um, you know, we've inspired companies to do better with their products and their packaging. Mm. And that's that's where the real change will come from because we need corporations to change. Yeah. So the consumer's... Be held accountable. They feel guilty, and I yep. don't want them to. Yeah. I want you to hold brands accountable because they are that. the ones who did this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Brienne, thank, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I just think you're doing such amazing things in the world, and I can't wait to see and watch how Atik continues to grow. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was an awesome chat. Well, that was my episode with Brianne West, of course, the founder of beauty brand Atique, doing massive things in the world. I didn't even um, list off what she's been acknowledged for at the beginning of the podcast. She's been recognised as Entrepreneur of the Year in 2021. She was named a global thinker in US magazine Foreign Policy in 2016. Uh, She's also been profiled in Forbes, Time Magazine, Insider, New York Times, as well as winning a slew of awards for Atique's innovative products. And I just can't wait to see where she's heading. So much knowledge, so much passion for our beautiful planet. And I hope you got something out of today's episode. Um, I'll be back with another one next week. Hope you have a goodie and I'll see you then. Oh, if you haven't subscribed to the PJ Podcast, please do. Thank you. Love you. Bye.